0: Good evening, everyone, and welcome to a live broadcast of The Liberty Show with Kevin Fortune. Um, We are so excited to be doing our first live broadcast um, through Zoom on Facebook. Uh, You actually get to see me and to see some of our other participants. We are excited that we have another Kevin. You know he's brilliant if his name is Kevin. Um, Good looking, smart, talented. I mean, he's got it all together, and he is about to be the next U.S. House of Representatives, um, representing Rochester, New York. And based upon some of the current events that's happened up in Rochester, we thought we would interview Kevin since he's going to be representing that district in Congress um, after the election. So welcome, Kevin Wilson. You're live on The Liberty Show.
1: Hey, thanks for having me again, Kevin. Appreciate it.
0: So Kevin, tell us a little bit um, a little bit about yourself and then a little bit about your campaign.
1: Yeah, sure. So uh, I- I've been... I've been with the Libertarian Party for well, about seven years now. I've been supporting Libertarian candidates like uh, like Larry Sharp up here in New York and um, Andrew Hollister, who ran with Larry Sharp. Uh, been active in federal campaigns too. I was uh, working with Gary Johnson's campaign as a New York State field coordinator, and you know, I it, it was time to step up again uh, for. For this year, I've been a long time kind of voice of the Libertarian Party in this region. So I wanted to, to be able to speak the Libertarian issues uh, from the national debt to uh, education reform to ending all the wars, ending the war on drugs. And and now, uh, particularly in this region right now, what's really salient is uh, uh, police and criminal justice issues. It's uh, come out in a, in a big way in Rochester in a really unfortunate way uh, because of course uh, a man, uh, Daniel Prude, uh, died at the hands of police.
0: So Kevin, tell me, what is the uh, actual office you're running for the district and what area does it cover?
1: Yeah, sure. It's uh so <clears throat> it's US House of Representatives, New York 25th Congressional District. It is uh most of Monroe County, New York. So uh the again the Rochester region, a relatively small but dense area of western New York. And uh yeah, now we're we're an area that's uh kind of you know Hurting after all the industrial decline that we've seen in, you know, uh in, in many parts of the United States in the last thirty years. We used to have Kodak here. Uh it's still here. They they almost got a bunch of money from the federal government. We talked about that last time I was on the show, uh, but that that fell through. And uh, you know, we're Yay. <laughs> yeah, that was a total mess. Uh but you know, we there there's a lot of great, awesome, creative people here who are who are struggling uh under Uh, the regulatory burdens of New York state, the local economy and the federal government too. So, so trying to, to, to get this region out of that mess and to, to find ways to help people find prosperity is a really important part of uh, every libertarian running in this area.
0: Well, Kevin, I'm glad to hear you say that, but I I really want you to know how proud I am of you. As you know, my, our theme is Liberty in action. And you are one person uh, that is for liberty, that is putting your liberty into action. And you are, uh, well-spoken, intelligent, but you're hardworking. And we're going to be so proud of you. Uh, once you're in the house, you got to invite me to your inauguration. <laughs> All right, uh, we're, fair gonna, enough. <laughs> we're looking forward to seeing you, uh, bring the voice of Liberty to, 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 um, our, our nation's capital. It, boy It's really, really needed. So Kevin, we wanted to, uh, we, we did our last podcast about, uh, defending or defunding the police. And even after that, we thought it was over and here comes another, um, situation and then even today i saw down in texas they just fired some police officers for another situation like so but tell us rochester has been all over the news this week and really gotten a lot of attention uh because of some particular dynamics so bring us in the loop of what's happening up in rochester with daniel prude's death
1: so uh, just just to give your listeners a little bit of background i'll try to be quick on this uh so daniel prude was um he, he was, he was going through a mental health crisis. That's what it was. So he was it, it, March 23rd, New York state, it's snowing out, it's freezing out. Um, and he was, uh, running around, uh, totally naked, uh, in the streets in Rochester. Uh, his brother, uh, had called the police, uh, to, to help kind of detain him and to get him to the hospital and to get, uh, Daniel, the, the help he needed. Um, but in doing so, um, the police when they detained him first they they put a they put a spit bag on his head because he was saying he had corona and whatnot um the application of that may have been improper uh it's hard to say uh but he he wasn't able to see became more panicked he was already detained at that point had you know he was in cuffs they ended up kind of and there's there's awful body cam footage if you want to um look at that but it's it's pretty tough to watch but the the, the police officers also you know restrained him and they, and it looked like they put in a ton of weight on this man's head and again, he's struggling, he's yelling, he's upset, he's saying you know he's saying stuff that's you know really um you know he, he, he's clearly going through a mental health crisis when you're when you're listening to it, but they're making fun of him, they put this pressure on his head, and in doing so uh the police killed him. That's, that's what happened. And that's, that's not editorializing. That's the Monroe County uh, medical examiner's report saying that this was a homicide because of, uh, asphyxiation because of a police restraint. Um, he, he did end up dying uh, seven days later. They, they tried to revive him on the scene, but he had, his uh, brain had been without oxygen for too long. So he ended up dying on March 30th and uh part of what's going on in Rochester. So again, this was, this is before all the George Floyd stuff came out. Um, and no one knew about this in Rochester. This was not public news until last week. So this was five months when the mayor and the chief of police and the president of the police union did not um, did not disclose that this had happened. And in fact, they had misrepresented what happened. They said it was a drug overdose. He had had traces of PCP in the system, but that's that's not what killed him. It, it was the the police restraint that had killed him um, and so since that news came out, uh, a little over a week ago, there have been protests in Rochester every single night. Uh, uh, earlier, uh, this week, it might've been yesterday, uh, the entire command staff of the, um, the police force in Rochester, the, the chief of police and, uh, the other senior leadership, uh, retired. That's their term for it. So they can still collect their pension. Mm-hmm. Um, and several others, uh,
0: how convenient <laughs> yeah um
1: so yeah after several days of protests um that's that's what happened and and I've I've attended a couple of these you know and I want to at all like look like I'm taking credit for any of that work you know I've been just kind of observing talking about the policy issues related to this on on my radio show and and when I'm talking with voters um you know the it's the 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 people who got out in the streets and, and put a lot of pressure on the lovely Warren administration the mayor here the the chief of police uh there there was a lot of incidents of police using uh tear gas pepper balls uh pepper spray on peaceful protesters here um and yeah but but after that consistent pressure, you're starting to see more stuff come out um and I think there's there's a lot more pressure on on the mayor to resign following the the chief of police resigning because. And there's a lot of discussion too is uh should the police respond to mental hygiene arrests? And I, I think that's 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 really gonna be the biggest policy point that may end up coming out about this is and that's part of what we talk about when like when I talk about defunding the police, it's you know, do we do we shift those services for nine one one calls for like mental health uh mental hygiene calls to someone else who might be able to address that issue more effectively because in this case uh, the, the police did not did use not. the proper restraints and, and they killed someone who's going through a mental health crisis and no family deserved to, to, to go through that when they've called the police and, and they, they expect their family member to get help
0: Well that's a great point I want to piggyback on, but first of all that this happened back in March and, and you know it's just unfathomable that like you said it was covered up intentionally accidentally whatever it was withheld you know from the public um, especially with all what was going on in our nation. But also the fact that I was looking up some research myself that his family called the police to take him back to the mental hospital, not to arrest him. You know, that was falsely yeah. right. You know, they weren't trying to, they weren't supposed to be arresting him. And so it, it's just really something that he lost his life. Once again, the people that we call the defenders to defend us, help us, instead of helping, they end up hurting us. Um, to uh, go along with what you just said, we have a question. Jared, what's the question from Quincy in Berkeley, California?
2: Yes, we have a question from one of our longtime fans and supporters, Ms. Quincy. So Quincy asks, what measures will you be taking to ensure that taxpayer dollars are being sent towards agencies that actually work to serve the community so that situations such as this one don't occur again?
1: That's, that's I mean, that's a great question. Uh, from the federal level, there's a couple of things that we'd be able to do, um, you know, I think a lot of it starts with holding police officers accountable when uh, they, they are liable for, for injuring or killing someone in a situation like this. Um, and that, that starts with ending qualified immunity so that if if a family wants to be able to, um, to take officers to civil court, they should have to carry professional liability insurance. Um, and if, you know, there's judgment, the taxpayers don't have to uh, be on the hook for that. And... Um, you know, we have to, yeah, we, we have to end that right now. It's nearly impossible for for people to update police officers to uh, civil court over that. That's uh, again, qualified immunity. If there's not a pre-existing documented case of constitutional rights violation that looks exactly like this, you're you're not going to get a judgment in your favor. I mean, of course we have to keep them criminally liable too, and there's an investigation in Rochester in this case uh, at the New York State Attorney General's office over that. But of course, the other stuff is uh, ending police militarization. We spend a ton of money giving a lot of military equipment to the police, so that I want to end that. Ending civil asset forfeiture, if you're basically stealing people's stuff on suspected crimes, that's not a good use of taxpayer money. They're just taken from us. And ending the war on drugs. Uh, so all these things are, are really important. And again, I think a lot of these discussions have to happen at the local level too. You know, look at your, your local town and city budgets. Uh, a huge, huge proportion of those is going to be taken up by police departments. And if you think that you know maybe police aren't the the best ones to be able to respond to certain incidents like this, you need to talk to your city council members and your town board members about you know, how do we how do we shift those resources to uh, to other agencies or, or organizations that might respond more effectively.
0: That's a, those are both great points, and you know Kevin having technical difficulties here, <laughs> but Kevin, it's really a good point. But you know. The one thing that I was thinking, you know, even though you said from the federal level, we want to deal a lot with the local, uh, but most of the local uh, governments and are funded by a lot of federal programs. So that's why it's very important to have someone on the federal level to be looking out for some of these programs. But, uh, Jared, let's bring in some of our other um, uh, uh, podcast guests. And who's first on The Liberty Show Live with Kevin Wilson?
2: Sure. Do we want to go to Mr. Adam House, perhaps? I know he always okay. has something great to add. If you want to be, uh, be put on next in the in the lineup here of our guests, feel free to use the the raise hand function and then we can we can get you lined up or uh, just just shoot a quick message in our in our Zoom chat. Uh, okay. But uh, Yeah.
0: OK. Hey, Adam in Texas. Welcome. You're live on the Liberty Show.
3: Hey Kevin, thanks for having me back, guys. It's good to be with you again. Uh, I really enjoyed our conversation before, and it's it's nice to have a candidate like uh, like uh, our presumptive uh, Mr. Wilson here, ready to serve. Uh, I appreciate what you had to say, uh, Kevin Wilson. The um, uh, I'm on board with everything you just said about qualified immunity and civil asset forfeiture, ending the war on drugs. I think that's all uh when you were talking about this recent case uh, about mr prude up there um you know mental health crisis is is something that that uh you know i, I i'm a i happen to be a retired combat veteran i uh, was medically retired from service i uh, was with the 103rd airborne in afghanistan and was retired for chronic severe post-traumatic stress disorder so uh, the PTSD issues have been near and dear to my heart for many years now. It's it's a big deal within the veteran community, and this is something that I've been concerned about for a long time. You know, uh, if somebody is having a mental health crisis, which you know a lot of vets can have uh, for different reasons, uh, having somebody respond to that in a way that's that's militaristic, in a way that's aggressive. It's just a no go. It's it's a recipe for disaster, and uh, and I think we absolutely have to look at what what ways we can reform, what ways we can deliver these kinds of emergency services uh, in a way that's more peaceful, in a way that's more respectful of people's rights, uh, and you know ultimately we might even be able to to do it all cheaper and more efficiently, more effectively, all the way around. So. Uh, appreciate what the uh, presumptive congressman had to say.
0: So, Adam, what do you think about um, all of this? Uh, we we use the word police brutality, and we got a lot of comments <laughs> and that we were being leftist and being very biased and everything. But what do you think about some of this stuff that's going on, um, you know, with the police interacting with the uh, taxpayers in, in such a brutal and militaristic way?
3: Well, you know, I guess, I guess the the danger of my, too much from the episode when I was on before, but you know, uh, I guess I'll beat a dead horse here a little bit. I, I think it, it boils down to, we have to face the reality that we've had a, a problem with the police state here in this country for a long time. Um, you know, we go back all the way to the beginnings, the foundations of the country, uh, the way that policing evolved and became what it is today throughout our history. Uh, again, we know that a lot of it uh, began, I- at least in the South, it, it emerged as, uh, as a form of uh, the, the slave catching, um, you know, and it became policing over time. And, and so there's systemic racism in that from the beginning, uh, but also, you know, hey, guys, I'm 42 years old, and I don't know what it's like to live without the war on drugs. You know, I've been waiting my whole life to live in a free country, and it's, it's not happened yet. Um, you know, I feel like we, we went the, the militaristic way with this a long time ago. The war on drugs gave this police state uh, a big booster, a big, a big shot of adrenaline, And then, you know, not that many years later, a decade or two later, a couple decades later, we have the war on terror. And I would say, you know, when 9-11 happened, I was, uh, you know, I was an adult. I was working in the steel mill at the time. And I remember when that day happened, uh, I was holding my three, four-month-old daughter in my arms, watching those towers fall on TV and just wondering, you know, what's this gonna mean for our country? Everybody knew we were changing in fundamental ways. Uh, I don't know that at the time we could have anticipated what was actually gonna be the fallout of this, but, uh, you know, we went from what was already a militaristic police state. And we, I think, you know, on on the day that 9-11 happened, uh, we all looked at that and we said, yeah, these officers, these firemen, all the people that were our heroes that day, they, they were our heroes that day. But I think we, we tilted this, the, the pendulum swung so far in the direction of safety and security and back the blue. And, uh, you know, we basically gave free reign to the police state and, uh, and there's been no balance in that ever since. I, I think uh, we've, we've just given the, the police in this country and policing powers Uh, just free reign. We've, we've given them whatever equipment they want, special militarized tactics training, um, as well as whatever funding, you know, increasing the size of police forces. And uh, I I think it's time for the pendulum to swing back the other way a little bit. And let's bring this back into some more balance. Um, You know, like I say, you know, I'm in my forties and, and I haven't seen a, a free country yet. It's, it's a police state, you know, it's, it's, you don't have to be, uh, you don't even necessarily have to be of any certain race or anything else to to feel the uh, the weight of this police state on our shoulders. That's a great uh, point. Think,
0: great point. Yeah. It,
3: it, yeah. But, you know, I do, I would say a little caveat to that is I think anytime that the state becomes tyrannical, anytime it becomes oppressive, uh, it is the the margin nationalized the more vulnerable communities that feel it first, which obviously that's gonna be, you know, poor and minority people. And, you know, I've been I've been seeing at least for the last seven or eight, nine years now, uh, the fact that young black men in this country most especially feel the brunt of this brutal police state. And it's it's just time for that to change. We just we can't let it go any further. It's already gone too far.
0: So that's kind of where
3: I am with it all.
0: Thank you, Adam. Great, great points. Back to our special guest, Kevin Wilson, uh, candidate, libertarian candidate for the U.S. Congress in Rochester, New York. Mr. Wilson, what do you think of what uh, Adam had to say? Do you think we have a police state, oppressive government, uh, militaristic government currently in the United States?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think we, we. You're right. We, we've gone on, uh, way too far uh, on on a lot of this stuff, and uh, yeah, we need to start scaling that back. This is, you know, this is what I always say. You know, every Every law that we have um, could become an opportunity to use violence, and uh, you know that's uh, that's something I always think about like if we 're going to recommend a law that something should be illegal that there's there's a possibility that the state could use violence to to harm someone who's uh peaceful or, or someone who's not peaceful too sometimes that's what what 's necessary but um, you know we've we have we swung so far in the in that direction and and maybe you know we've there's actually a long history of of, of the United States being there and uh, of that kind of getting cleaned up in the history books. But uh, yeah, no, I think we, we need to scale back and find better solutions to solve problems in our community that, that don't necessarily involve the, the use of force that is uh, the police and, uh, and other similar agencies.
0: Mm, great. Now let's go down to the great Peachtree State in Georgia. And we have our, one of our most beautiful participants, Miss Charlie. Miss Charlie, you're live on the Liberty Show. Let's hear what you have to say tonight.
3: Oh, Kevin, you just put me on the spot. <laughs> I, I, I was um, looking at what Jared had said. I think somebody else wanted to speak first. But um, just listening with everything, with with everyone, and I totally agree with everything that Adam, I believe is his name, um, had to say. The only thing I guess I can add to that is that we as the, you know, we the people need to learn to take the power back. Because technically, we have the power. We have to realize that these politicians and everyone else work for us. And of course, one of the powers is trying to get everyone out to vote. But um, just even be going beyond that, I think we have to take control once again as to how we want our lives and for this country to be and for it to look. And that's how I feel.
0: I agree. Thank you. I just wanted to bring in a feminine point of view. And, and besides, don't tell them, Miss Charlie, you're smarter than the rest of them. Women are smarter than me. <laughs> <laughs> hey, but, um, I, I do
3: believe. I must agree.
0: Mr. Wilson, what do you think about that? I think that's a libertarian principle that we've been fighting for for years about bringing the power, uh, less government, limited government. Can you uh, expound on that, sir?
1: Right on. Yeah, I agree. We we need to have, you know, individual liberty, uh, individual empowerment, incredibly important. And, you know, we've got to get out and fight for it. And sometimes that's just going out to vote. And then sometimes it's, you know, again, what we're seeing here in Rochester is the, the people going out peacefully protesting, staying up for their rights and putting pressure on uh, political leaders to, to do the right thing <laughs> to, to make sure that when they mess up, that they're held accountable to that. Um, so, so it's all of that, but, but mostly it's bringing back that individual Liberty where we can and empowering people where we can.
0: Great. Great. Okay. Jared, who's next live on the Liberty show?
1: We got Mr. Damon.
0: Okay. Hey, hey Damon. Everybody.
4: Hey. What's
0: up? That's DK. It's not the mass murderer, DK. Damon, the founder, he's the impetus of this whole show. It's all your fault, Damon. <laughs>
5: <Go> <laughs>
6: yeah, ahead. so uh, uh, salute to Kevin and Adam and then Charlie for uh, making great points so far. What I'd like to do is kind of add on to what's already been said in that um, what Kevin mentioned about ending qualified immunity, I think would, would go would do wonders for making... A lot of these shootings and this this police violence that you see go away, because right now what happens is, even in the wake of the post George Floyd, um, you would think that a lot of these cops would have a lot more, um, uh, I guess, recognition of okay, people are filming now, so let me kind of you know slow slow down and chill a little bit. But I, no. <laughs> the fact that they the fact that they don't have any qualms whatsoever with doing what they're doing, knowing that they're being filmed, is a problem. And the reason why it's a problem is that they know nothing's going to happen to them because there's, there's been a, precedent set, a precedent, precedent set that nothing is going to happen to them. And they just feel, OK, we can do whatever. Um, and, and when we look at the George Floyd situation, the cop that was looking at dead at the camera, he knew. I mean, he was like, what, what are you going to do about it? Knowing that at the end of the day, kind of what, what Charlie was saying about taking the power back uh, in a perfect world, people would not fear the police in a perfect world. The, the George Floyd situation would not have happened because people would have said either they would have cussed the cops out or they at least would have pushed the cop off or something. But what happens now is that, and we've all had instances where a police officer says something to you in a provoca- in a uh, provoking manner, and then if you say something back or do something back, then they, they use that as justification to say, hey, I feared for my life. And, and so that's the unfortunate part of, of our modern day policing is that they have carte blanche to do whatever they want to do. And as far as going back to taking back control uh, of of the um, of the narrative, we also, as as individual citizens, need to push back on the media too, because the media serves to create a narrative depending on whatever side it wants to be on. And unfortunately, it's it's one of two opposite polar extremes where it's like if, if you're on the left, the right makes it seem like you're a pacifist; you want people rapists and murderers be roaming the streets. Or if it's on the right, you think that uh, you know you know, cops should be militarized where it looks like they're about to invade, invade Baghdad every single day. So the, the truth of the matter should be somewhere in between in that, okay, the police need to be uh, able to respond to, um, to terrible situations. Yes, they do have a difficult job. But at the end of the day, too, the training needs to, needs to be improved in that um, whatever personality tests or whatever, but some of these people, let's just be honest, some of the cops that you see now are the kids that got beat up in, in, in high school. And now all of a sudden they got a, a gun, a badge, and a God complex. Now I think that anybody that says anything to them, they can just buck up against them. And, the, you know, they say something to them, they can shoot them dead. And they, they, that's not that's not how this the rule of law works. The rule of law works, if you, if you com- think that somebody's committing a crime, the police's job is to detain that person, give them their day in court. And with a lot of these black uh, situations where we've seen the black person get shot and killed or strangled or, or whatever, and we've seen instances... The the cow, cop, the dude up in uh in Milwaukee or uh, Kenosha, shot some people with an AR was walking down the street and saying to the cops, "What's up?" So so we either we either have a rule of law or we don't. You know the fact that there's two just diametrically opposed um, situations where you know if the white guy commits a crime, which we know he possibly did it, then he gets taken to Burger King on the way to the to the uh to the to the jail, <laughs> and if if anything happens to him at all. Or the black dude who's supposedly complying, you know, a lot of the obey the law crowd says, well, if you just comply, you have nothing to worry about. Well, you know, there are plenty of examples to prove that's that's false. You know, so um, I, I think overall, we just have to have a, a paradigm shift in that we, we don't uh, assume that the police have the job of God. Uh, they have a job to do, yes, but they they need, they need to do it better. And they need to have more restraint and more empathy. Uh, because this gentleman that, uh, that Kevin was talking about up in New York, the man had a mental health injury. A mental health uh, condition so that's something that the police shouldn't even probably be called for something like that that's to be a mental health professional now maybe we can talk about having the mental health professionals armed for their protection just in case right i mean because there are situations where it may go south but at least start it from a, a mental health perspective first rather than just automatically assume the worst and all of a sudden next thing you know a man is dead for no reason
0: yeah well, great damon you brought up so many great points but damon is our kind of um Race and politics uh, uh, editor and specialist. <laughs> so, Damon, what do you, I know the question you want to ask Kevin Wilson. So, go ahead and ask Kevin since he's running for federal office. Um, you know, we, we've kind of not really downplayed, but we've touched on the fact of race in some of these, but uh, race is a factor in some of these. So, what would you ask Kevin uh, since he's going to be the next congressman from Rochester? Uh, what would you ask him concerning this issue? Yeah, Kevin,
6: we talking about reparations. Well, no, but Kevin, on a no, seriously though, like on on a national level, when we talk about, there are so many underarching uh, questions uh, when it comes to race in this country. But one of the main ones, and we've had we've had a podcast on this before. But what's your idea on reparations, and and what what would that look like in your mind?
1: That's a that's a good question. I'm I'm trying to I'm still thinking my way through this, right? Because you know, when I think about reparations, I think about the fact that there are still living. Breathing, people who are still around who felt the impacts of state-sponsored racism, uh, and who are still around today. So, if if you are one of the people who were who redlined, who had your businesses destroyed, who had you know whose family members were killed by state violence, are you owed compensation? Are are you what was the role of the government to make that right? Uh, you know, I think that the government does have a role in that. Now, what what that looks like specifically, like checks you know like literally cut a check maybe uh you know i, I don't know um uh and yeah so Hello. like my idea hey, is I, I can... i'm i'm open to it but i don't know what that looks like specifically yet And i'm still trying to, to well, figure out what
0: da- that is. damon can help you on that damon what do you want <laughs> Dan, yeah. well it's, it's not
6: that's the thing like the, the part part of the challenge is is how it's phrased right and so there are some people, and, and certainly not Kevin, because Kevin's an open minded individual, but there there would be some that say on the right who make it seem like black folks have a handout and is they're trying to look for charity when that is not the case. The case the point is, you know, people like to, to tout the United States currently as the, the richest country the world's ever seen, which is true, but let's not look at it in a vacuum. How did it get that way? Well, when you don't have to pay people for the for the labor that helped to build it, then that certainly doesn't hurt. Right. So when you look at um, at Jeff Bezos, he's I think they're saying he could be close to a trillion dollars. And I used to work at Amazon, so let's, let's you know put it out there. They pay pretty well, right? But Jeff Bezos could probably be a, a multi trillionaire if he didn't pay anybody. Right. So so that, that part can't be misunderstood that that um, you know money can be money is a tool right? And so when you don't pay people and you, 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 and not even just slavery too, you know, people just try to minimize it to just slavery, but it's past that. It's it's the Jim Crow, uh, the, a lot of the, the systematic oppression that happened after slavery as well. And Kevin alluded to the fact that it was uh, also redlining. So when you look at generational wealth that was not able to be passed on, when you have uh, FHA loans that were given to whites that were denied specifically to blacks, you look at the GI Bill that was given to whites, but specifically denied to blacks, there's more than just one thing, is generational wealth that was basically stolen from black people. So, and, and specifically descendants of slaves. So to kind of break it down more, more simply, it's not to say that anybody specifically who's black, there does have to be a, a vetting process. Uh, if you, like I did a, when I was in college, I did a, um, a family history genealogy and I was able to trace my family records back to the early, uh, the turn of the 20th century and anything past that for Black people gets to be kind of kind of dicey, because of and that's part of this, the whole institution of slavery as well. The records got kind of got kind of muddy in there. But if you can, as a Black person, if you can at least trace your uh, ancestry back to the turn of the 20th century, then you would be due reparations. Because most things past the Civil Rights Act of uh, in the late 60s, anybody else that that was Black that came maybe from the Caribbean or from you know other countries, that was voluntary immigration, right? Um, so when we talk about reparations, we're talking specifically <laughs>
0: for the descendants of slaves. So, Damon, uh, before you go, what exactly do you want, man? Let me hear your phrase. <laughs> well, I mean,
6: it's cut the check. I mean, there's, you know. <laughs> you know That's what it's, Damon's
0: it's, known for, Kevin. I had to tease him. He's no, no, but actually, this is a libertarian principle because libertarian, the motto, I, I feel old before you guys came around. Our motto was there's no free lunch. How do you work people for free, sell their kids, take their land, take their business? You know, uh, you put money into a bank and they say, oh, you're black or you're ex-slave, we're just gonna take your money, and close your account. So it's not like they're really giving us welfare, as Damon said. It really is that there's no free lunch. A- any final comments, Damon?
6: That was pretty much it. I wanna give some other people some time to speak, but I uh, appreciate okay. you uh, having me on. I love being on this
0: Facebook Live. Okay, thank you so much. Jared, who's next live on the Liberty Show with our special guest, Kevin Wilson?
2: Should I weigh in myself, you think?
0: Uh, if you'd like to, sure, you're, part well. you're No, <laughs> I'm not. You,
2: you can see my face this time. You know it's not true. Uh, anyway, <laughs> yeah, so uh, uh, bringing some of this uh, uh, conversation back, uh, it's just been kind of incredible seeing how how polarized this, uh, this topic has become over the last... Uh, few months uh, since george floyd it seemed when the initial video of of uh his his death by police was released that uh, uh there was pretty universal outrage uh even by people who are typically uh more on the pro police uh, side of things just because it was uh such a clear case of of, of, of abuse uh, uh this man was a uh, uh, held down against his will expressed he was uh in distress and uh, uh despite bystanders also uh uh begging the officer to, to to ease up and and figure out some some other restraint uh, i mean he was uh, murdered in the street and that that's terrible um yet uh it seems that now uh especially in the wake of of all the the black lives matter protests and some of the uh more more violent uh, riots that also came in in the wake of of this event uh that you ha- you have people who for example are are in- incredibly supportive of uh lone gunman kyle rittenhouse uh who uh took it upon himself to defend property that was not his uh in a in a town away from his home and uh the the officers themselves were very welcoming of him yet he's this uh stranger wandering around with a with a high powered weapon uh in in uh, a situation of of some social uh uh chaos uh so it's it's really interesting seeing uh some of these developing polarizations and makes me really worried about uh how do we reach these kinds of of people who uh are are at the point where uh, uh i mean we had Brianna Taylor, who was shot in her own home while she was sleeping, and yet there's still this phrase going around, "Well, if you just comply with the officer uh, nothing uh, nothing's going to uh, happen bad to you um, which seems from my perspective very very out of touch uh, with a lot of these realities um, but yeah anyway my my question for you kevin is uh how, how do we how do we bridge some of this polarization uh, when when there's serious talk of of defunding the police and and you as a a libertarian candidate who i assume is is more interested in how we can get government out of things uh rather than get government into things how can we uh cross these bridges and and satisfy some some people who uh have a a serious thirst for quote unquote law and order and and the the police state that often accompanies that phrase
1: yeah no uh, great question jared i I think a lot of it starts with, with empathy um, and, you know, because uh, like a lot of these issues are complex, right? Like even within the city of Rochester, the the narrative around policing is complicated because a, a lot of neighborhoods that are majority black, like are, want police there to keep their neighborhoods safe from, from individuals who would cause harm. Um, and then, you know, we have the law and order types who are, you know, who, who, see that same thing where they see, uh, you know, they, they want someone to be on the end of calling the police and using a phrase like defund the police, I know kind of scares people. Um, you know, maybe not libertarians, libertarians like, Oh, defund. Great. Um, but, <laughs> <Yay>. <laughs> but you know, but it does scare a lot of people. And, and so like trying to, I, I try to keep things very policy po- focused. I try to keep things on like, okay, like how can, how can we understand like what, like when I talk about the the Daniel Prude thing, and I'm talking with people who are who are skeptical of this situation, uh, you know one in five people have a mental illness. um and so chances are you have a family member who has also struggled with a mental illness and if if they were having a, a very serious crisis and they were out on the street like this and you called nine one one, you know what would you expect to happen? right? And if this had happened instead how would you how would you want justice to be served in this case, right? So it's, it's thinking about that. It's trying to build that, that level of empathy to, to get people to understand that. And I know with some people, that's, that's, it's really hard. Like, you know, I even talked to some people about, like, the George Floyd situation. Like, oh, well, like, we, we can't be empathetic because, like, he was on drugs or, or, you know, he was actually a bad guy or whatever. It's like, no, it's, it's not about that, though. Like, you, you don't know how you're going to react to these situations. You don't know where you'll be. You don't know what family member is going to be in these situations. So we want to do the best we can to think, like, what if this happened to someone I loved? And, you know, is there a better way from a policy perspective to do this, like to 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 make sure we stop bad people, but also to make sure that when police hurt someone, either because the policy is bad or because the officer acted irresponsibly or the officer acted with malice, how is that person held accountable? And to me, you know, like some of the best ways to do it is, again, ending qualified immunity and and the, the professional liability insurance thing is a thing I'm more and more of a fan of because if If you're not able to get insurance anymore because you are hurting people, uh, you know, and and the criminal justice system won't hold you liable, then the free market will because the insurance companies ain't going to cover you. Again, main thing I'll keep coming back to that empathy, having conversations, trying to meet people where they're at. Uh, So because I'm I'm a libertarian, I'm like on this issue, I'm kind of walking in a lot of like left-wing worlds i'm going through these protests and i'm, I'm talking with marxists uh, sometimes and, and I'm, I'm talking to them like hey like hey we should reduce the size of the state here's why here's all these other consequences and when i'm talking with conservatives i got we have to take a different approach and so trying to know where people are coming from trying to get people to see the humanity in others uh i think that's that's the best way forward
0: well, Kevin, and, and I, I totally agree, but I, I am going to play the devil's advocate a little bit. I'm going to be Damon Drew. But we've been doing this for like 400 years. We've been Damn. playing the empathy and talking and having symposiums and courts, you know, and just just rallies and, um, you know, roundtable discussions. And it, to me, just doesn't seem like it's working. You know, what what what's the next step? And that's kind of a rhetorical question, I know. But... I mean, honestly, we have been talking. We have been praying, as Tim and I joke a lot. We've been having prayer meetings, but it's like, you know, is God up there? What's going on? But uh, I do want to piggyback on what Jared said. My favorite topic is, um, you know, the solution to a lot of people is just take some of this money and put it in more government programs. What do you think of that? You know, more mental health, more homeless, more drug addiction. But the government is, they already have these programs, and they're failing. So, you know, what kind of policies do you propose that would be I guess more of effective government, because to me, just taking money from one failed program and putting it in another failed government program is not the answer.
1: Yeah. Well, let me, let me address the first part of what you said and just acknowledge like, yeah, it is bullshit. People have been dealing with this for a long time. Like we, we can't keep, you know, seeing these injustices happen constantly and and your outrage is absolutely justified. Uh, you know, and it's just, I, I, to me that that's the best way i feel like i can i can contribute to this situation is to do that and and i understand how other people uh their totally understandable outrage manifests itself in a different way and and you know my my hope is that we could just continue to find ways and to get better and to 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 see the best in people even when people are awful and and you know and and to to protect yourselves too because that's part of it too some people just ain't going to be good and so you, you need to be able to defend yourself. And that's also why I'm a, a second amendment person too. Um, but so, so uh, the second part where you said about, about the government programs. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, that, that's, that's, a, again, a big discussion that's happening around here too. Is like, well, you know, do we, do we need different support for mental health programs that I, I, I would be more comfortable with shifting it sometimes right like if, if we're shifting it away from the police and the military and we're shifting through these programs I get that um, you know I would like to see more decentralized approaches to that uh, you know I look at like how like the VA approaches a, a lot of healthcare for a lot of people and they're, and they're very frustrated with that level of service and and you know same thing with mental health if, if you have limited options to be able to get mental health support in your community and and the government option is the only one um, you know, that that can be incredibly frustrating. But if you have a, a, a lot of uh, nonprofits who are, who are doing, you know, mental health and wellness best practices and able to uh, find ways to kind of meet people where they are on different levels of, of, of seriousness of mental illness, that that's, you know, great. That's preferred. And then and I think a, a large part of the issue, both in terms of crime and in terms of other social issues, uh, you know, kind of cause the need for people to think that we need more investment in police is, is lifting people out of poverty. And I don't think that's as simple as, well, let's just, uh, you know, have a government program for this. I think a lot of it's is how do we unleash the power of entrepreneurs and small business owners and communities to be able to, to support each other, provide the goods and services they need. And for people to be able to, uh, to find those opportunities
0: in, in their own homes. Yeah. Amen, brother. Say that again. I have to stop and shout on that one. <laughs>
1: I'm not going well, no, to be on that,
0: that again. <laughs> that is really now. You should write that down. That's a profound statement. That, you know, because Kevin, that I didn't mean to cut you off, but that is something Damon and I and Tim have been working on: is wealth empowerment. And um, I think uh, Malcolm X said it best. You know, like most of the people that make money in the communities don't live in those communities. But when you put the money and empower into the community, they will begin to police themselves. They their their whole perspective, their mindset, and you know, so that is really really a big key. And if we could just understand that, but most people really don't want that because as long as they own some of the wealth, they've got power over you, you know? So I just wanted to, you know, to let you know, that is really a great statement and a very profound thing that if we could get empowered communities with physical wealth, mental wealth, emotional wealth, spiritual wealth, you know, that makes all the difference. So I just want to let you know that's a great thing. So let's go next. Uh, You mentioned the word Marxist. And for some reason, a friend of mine just comes in mind, but Louie, you are live on the Liberty Show with our special guest Kevin Wilson. What's your perspective, Loy?
5: Um, sure. <laughs> well, I don't know. Like, what do you want me to talk about specifically?
0: Well, I just want you to comment on, um, from your political background, what do you think about the police brutality and the um, the pers- uh, the perspective of just opening more government programs, which I know you love and more uh, government aid to deal with mental or or, uh, homelessness, whatever. Just what are your views?
5: Well, I don't want to be too repetitive because I know that I've talked about this on uh, not last week's episode, but uh, the previous episode we did on police brutality. And something that I've been thinking about a lot uh, over the course of this summer after having like, cause I've been uh, going down to the protest site. Cause I live in Minneapolis. I've been going down to the site where George Floyd was killed. And I've been observing the sort of like ongoing protests there and doing my own you know, kind of activism. And something that I've really been thinking about is that I'm not sure the police as an institution can be reformed. Not that I have like anything against uh, like, you know, people who sincerely want to reform the police, but I think that's misguided. Like I think, as an institution, it's fundamentally corrupt and racist and authoritarian, and that is very much rooted in, you know, the its history. And I don't know if I've talked about this before. I'll try to be succinct about this. Uh, prior to the police emerging as a centralized institution in the late 1800s, uh, like in pre-revolutionary times. America had, like, uh, kind of armed militias that would uh, fight off Indians from, like, Native Americans from, like, uh, settlements, as well as, like, uh, you know, slave catcher patrols that would uh, go and find, like, any slaves who ran away or tried rebelling against their white owners. And basically, that was sort of, like, before we had it, like any kind of like police as we know it now, that was the sort of law and order like enforcers that existed. And as the eighteen hundreds went on, and legal slavery basically became a lost cause, that sort of basis evolved into police as we know it now, basically like a centralized, armed law enforcement organization that could, at a moment's notice, be called to you know, enforce the whims of capital, of the uh, landed gentry of America, which in (laughs) the 1800s was like, you know, labor unions and like newly freed black uh, laborers. And just like, I don't know, thinking back on that, that is is like what the police that we have today has evolved from. I don't know if you really can like reform it. It's just like well, when we see like the, the horrible video footage of like those, those goons like murdering George Floyd or like the police officers shooting that poor autistic kid like last week or like the, you know, the guys who put the bag over that like, you know, mentally ill man's head. It's just like they're working, they're doing what they're supposed to. Like they're, filling, they're fulfilling like the function they're supposed to serve in a very twisted way. Like there's nothing abnormal about that. Like that's what the police do. And I think like no matter how, no matter how much defunding or forming we do, like that will still be like their purpose to like terrorize and oppress and harm like you know working class people and not even just working class people, just like anybody anybody who is not part of the one percent the the landed gentry as i said so
0: so let me ask you Louis. so do you think the police primarily just are working for the rich and upper one percent is that what you're saying yes you think that's who they represent
5: the police are i think i've said this i don't know if i said this on a previous episode the police are basically the only public service that the rich do not need to defund or they have, don't need to defund yet because they can, like, you know, keep healthcare privatized and completely inefficient and terrible. They can defund, like, you know, welfare programs and whatnot. They can defund everything, like the EPA, the CDC. But, like, the police are the one institution that they need to, like, defend their own interests, to defend their like, power, because, like, without the police, it's, like, they would have no, they wouldn't have any kind of line of defense against, like, anybody who takes issues with their uses. I think this is my point.
0: Interesting. Well, let's go to Mr. Wilson. Mr. Wilson, um, Kevin Wilson, uh, representing the future representative from the U.S. House for uh, Rochester, New York. Kevin, what do you think about some of Louis' points? Uh, number one, do you think the police can be reformed? And two, do you think they represent the interests of the rich and ruling class primarily? Uh,
1: so I, I'm not quite on the uh, abolish the police bandwagon yet. Uh, I think a lot of people don't know. It, it's one of those things, like especially any any type of government institution as a libertarian type, but we, well, we need to wind down and like find alternatives to that that makes sense for all people, right? And I think a lot of people, particularly, you know, the working class, to say, well, like who's gonna come up and defend me? You know, if I if if I'm not able to call the police, right? And and I think that's a, a fair question. I, I don't always you know know how to answer. Um, and to me, I, I think most people are looking for they want police to to stop murders and stop thieves and stop violent criminals, uh, and and that's it. Um, you know, I think part of it we need to think of alternatives to calling the police on, again, uh, mental health response on homeless response on, uh, you know, other social issues. Uh, and, and that's, that's where I think we can make like some of the biggest gains and, and reducing the most significant harm that police are causing today. And, and as far as the, uh, you know, do, do police only represent the interests of capital and I'm not sure, uh, if if you're the type of person who thinks that that capital and the state are one, then maybe you you see that. But I, I see it's like they represent the interests of the state, which isn't necessarily the interest of of the capitalist or or the business class. It's sometimes those are opposed to one another. Uh, the the police are are the uh, the arm of of a state which has a monopoly on violence. So whatever the state decides collectively, and whatever mechanisms uh, is used to legitimize um, law, you know, they're they're the ones who are. Uh, willing to hurt people who, who do that. And, and sometimes that's, that's a good thing when we're stopping murderers and sometimes it's a bad thing if we're, you know, taking away Second Amendment rights or uh, enacting the war on drugs or uh, harming peaceful people. Um, or, or or you know, again, uh, acting as judge, jury and executioner when someone may be committing an actual crime in a case, but a, a police officer shouldn't be killing them in the process of detaining them. To me, that's something I, I, I don't think that that's a intrinsic function of police. And that's something that we need to to move away from. And I think it can be reformed. That's where I'm at.
0: Okay. Okay. Interesting point where, you know, that's why we're having this discussion tonight. Great, great, great points as usual. So now we're going to go to, uh, to wrap us up pretty much, unless we have anybody else, Jared. Let's go to Mr. Tim down in Albany, Georgia. Hey, Tim, you're live on the Liberty Show.
4: Hello, it warms my heart to see you all again. (laughs) Great big shout out to Adam, a great friend of the show, of course, to Kevin Wilson, Damon, Miss Charlie, um, Louie holding it down for the Marxists, and of course, Jared. Um, It breaks my heart that we're here again to discuss the state of police and the state of policing in this country. And and one of the things that I, I picked up on this conversation on, on this show is this idea that we're going to take back the the power. The people are going to take back the power. Um, that's a fallacy. That's a lie um, for people who look like me. People who look like me, we've never had the power. So when I hear that we're going to take back the power, I always question, well, when the hell did we ever have power? Because Black folks in this country have never had power. So that's that's the thing that we need to be open and honest about is the state of Black people in this country and the history of Black people in this country. And, and we've hit on the history of policing in this country. Policing in this country springs out of catching slaves running away, trying to escape bondage. So there's no way in the world that you're going to convince me that we can defund the police, or that we can um, have a kumbaya with the police and, 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 and change their continents as a whole. That's BS. If you have been taught to look at me as your enemy, if you've been not only taught this, but it's been celebrated, that people who look like me are in the way of you getting home, there's no way in the world that I'm gonna change your continents. There's no way in the world that I'm going to be able to convince you that now I'm a man, that now I'm inhuman human as you are. This hey, is Tim, why me, I'm sorry? I
0: just want to stop you. That is, this is a really good point. Uh, I'm not kidding, I'm going to let you finish. But, you know, something I have been dealing with is that our country is in such denial right now. Yes. We, and I agree that we've been in denial as, as people of color that, that some people want us to integrate. They want us to be equal or social justice. Some people don't even want that, you know? So that is a great thing. And then back to Louie's point, the denial that the upper class or the government, the state, that they really wanna help the people, that they really wanna lift them up or even protect them, you know, oppressing uh, our, our citizens is part of our government's culture and DNA. And so I just wanted to piggyback on that because sometimes we start off on the wrong foot because we just, we, we just we're living and believing these lies. So I'm sorry to interrupt,
4: but go ahead, continue. Well, it's the lies that continue to perpetrate the system. This fallacy, this lie that the people are going to take back the power, this is something that the political class, both the Republicans and the Democrats, and this is something we've spoken of on on, on previous shows, this is a fallacy that there's a difference between the Democrats and the Republicans, it is a straight up lie. Each party, they're either sides of the same coin, and they get their power, they keep their power, and they increase their power through the police state. And what is this police state? Well, the police state functions and grows off, it's it's lifeblood is black and brown and poor white folks. And then we get into the military industrial complex that literally allows the political class and the bourgeoisie class, individuals who have wealth. Tim Smith, are you against having wealth? Of course I'm not against having wealth. Only a fool would be against earning wealth. I am not against earning wealth. What I'm against is earning wealth off of the backs, off of the suffering, off of the killing. And this is what we have to be honest about. And let's call a state a state. You all know where I stand. We have to be honest about this situation. Mr. Daniel didn't just die at the hands of police. Mr. Daniel, like all the other black and brown folks and all the other poor white folks, he was slaughtered. He was lynched. He didn't just simply die at the hands of the police. This was not a mistake. This wasn't an oops. I'm sorry, Mr. Daniel. I accidentally pushed your head against the ground. No, the pigs were laughing. The pigs are doing what the pigs do. We can't send pigs out onto the street and then get upset when they oink. So getting back to the earlier point, we can't talk about defunding the police. That's silly. We can't talk about changing the continents of the police. That's absurd. The only way that we can change policing in this country is to just abolish the way policing takes place in this country. As we've said before, my neighbor who plays with my kid would be much less apt of slaughtering me, of shooting me, of banging my head against the pavement than some individual who has no connection whatsoever to my community. So in order for quote-unquote policing to to, to be equitable, and that's what the the social justice like to say, they like to use that word equitable, so I'll use it too. In order for justice, in order for the criminal justice system in this country to be equitable, I need those who are quote-unquote policing me to look like me. I need individuals whose kids play with my kids to police me. I need individuals who will be less apt to shoot me in the back or bang my head against concrete because they know that they're going to see me at church or whatever place of worship. They're going to see me at the local Denny's. I need those individuals to police me. Now, if that's the argument for policing, of course, I I don't believe in any TIM,
0: hold your next thought. Let's go to Mr. Wilson mister Wilson, would you comment on what you said so far? What do you think of that?
1: all right well, Tim, thanks for the perspective and yeah I mean absolutely given the history of policing that's uh i uh, yeah no it's a it's a lot of a lot to think about um i i guess my my two follow up questions to that would be is if if we abolish the institution of policing, what does that look like, and then like what do you he, at that last part, at the end. Uh, you know, what do you what do you mean by like, uh, you know, like kind of people who look like you, people who uh, go to church with you? Like, what, what does that mean specifically to you? Uh, just so I, I understand where you're coming from.
4: So I'm in Albany. I live in Albany and and in Atlanta. And in Atlanta, there are a few neighborhoods that let's say the police haven't been the um, uh, um, the best at policing. So specifically, let's look at the the neighborhood of the West End. Weston is a historically black neighborhood in Atlanta. It was, I mean, it is, it's it's being gentrified. So the urban pioneers, and I have nothing against gentrification in general, but getting back specifically to this this neighborhood, um, Weston, these individuals decided that they're going to police themselves. So what does that look like? Well, there's an individual by the name of Brother Haroon who started an organization um, called street sweepers, so what he's done is he's gathered people in the neighborhood he's gathered the 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 community folks, people who look like the other people who live in the community and hes he told them and he's this is just one organization there's two organizations, but I want to speak directly to brother Haroon Brother Haroon gathered these individuals and he said listen he said if we call the police, we know how they're going to treat us.' If we call the police, we know we may not make it home. So what we have to do is we have to go out into our neighborhoods and demand these these individuals who are bringing down the 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 the, the, the happiness of the individuals that live here, that are bringing down, who are causing trouble, who are wreaking havoc in our neighborhood. And that's what street sweepers do. Instead of going to the to the to the individual, and, and I'm not against selling drugs. That's, that's I'm not anti-drug, that's, that's not me at all. But generally, um, um, that's, this is the way um, society has been taught to be anti drugs So for those individuals who are anti-drug uh, and believe that we need the police to stop the drug dealers, what he's done is he's gone out and, and his people, his volunteers, and that's what they are, they are volunteers. They've gone out into the community and they've said, listen, drug dealer, if you're going to, to, to stand here, you're going and, and sell your dope. That that kills our the individuals in our community. If you're going to stand here and push drugs on people who who, who have a, uh, an addiction, what we're going to do is we're not going to make life easy for you. So what he's done is that the, his people will stand there and, and keep uh, uh, make life very hard for for drug dealers. And this is what when we say we want poli- um, community policing, this is one way one of the ways it looks like community policing looks like individuals within the community going out there and addressing the people, addressing the individuals who cause life to suck in their communities. Now, another example, I used to live in Washington, D.C. Another example of community policing is when you have a a citizen's review board that actually has teeth to cause change. So we have a citizen's review board here in Atlanta. They're terrible. They suck. They're trash. They're <laughs> not worth and, and they know that. And the reason why they're terrible, they suck and they trash is because the political class, the mayor, the city council, those individuals don't want the people, the folks in the community to actually be able to hold the police accountable. So getting back to police accountability in D.C., um, the, the Citizens Review Board in, this, in the District of Columbia actually has the ability to hold police officers accountable for when they screw up. They can fire them. This is the this is how poli- community policing looks like. It either it can look like and or both, where you actually have a community, a citizens review board that actually has teeth that's able to hold the the police accountable by firing them, and it also looks like having individuals who go out into the community, and get rid of the riffraff or make it at least harder for the riffraff. To, to do the things that they do that cause the community to suck.
0: Now, Tim, let me piggyback on one good point that you made, because it's something I've been studying, too. It's these, they just created some kind of social justice police review board, uh, empowerment, the community type thing here in Atlanta with our new uh, attorney general, uh, not attorney, our new, uh, what is it? State's attorney or something like that. But guess what, Kevin, you, you're going to let us, everyone on this committee is rich and famous. They're all millionaires and two billionaires. They've got Magic Johnson, uh, the rapper Killer Mike. You know, they don't live in the hood. They don't walk down the street. They've all got bodyguards and they're riding around in bulletproof limousines. So I think that is really a good point. A lot of times the um, political structures and these commissions and committees and panels uh, that, you know, and councils that uh, the politicians develop, the people don't, they don't live in the communities. They don't operate, you know, in an ordinary manner. So, so what do you think of that, Mr. Wilson? So when you be, uh, take office, how are you going to deal with that?
1: Yeah. Well, again, I probably wouldn't be doing a ton of that at the federal level, but I do want to comment on on two things. One, it, Tim, the, that's a really interesting concept, and I kind of like the, the community policing concept. I think if I say it, it'll scare the crap out of people because it's be like, oh, why are you trying to privatize the police? You're, you're libertarian. That's what you're doing. And, and even though it's, it's really community grassroots policing, but I, I really I think that's an interesting concept to, to have, like, a voluntary intervention from neighbors. And, and if you build a strong community and you don't have people who are alienated and atomized, uh, that's that can be really successful. Now... Regarding the Police Accountability Board, what's interesting is in Rochester, we actually have that. And uh, for a little while, it looked like we are going to have a Police Accountability Board with teeth, like you said. We, we, and we had one is it uh, pretty well representative of, of people in, uh, in the Rochester area, in the, in the city of Rochester, uh, people from different backgrounds, uh, different income levels. Um, and it was supposed to have the ability to be able to punish and fire police officers. Now, of course, the police unions jumped in, and uh, now it's all tied up in court. Uh, so that's, while the police accountability board is still there to be able to review and comment on things, the chief of police is still the one who has to uh, make the decisions until, uh, until it gets out of court. And I think that's where it stands right now. Uh, and again, this is despite the fact that there's a referendum where this happened, where over two thirds of voters supported a police accountability board with the, uh, ability to be able to actually punish officers and, and fire them from
0: their positions. Mm. Interesting. interesting. Well, two final comments for me, guys. We're going to wrap up. Unless if anyone has a final comment, get it ready uh, for Mr. Wilson, and then I'll let him uh, have the last say. But uh, Kevin, two things. I want to piggyback on the part between the federal and the local, because I think a lot of people don't understand the connection there. You know, yeah, you would be on the federal level, but most of the funding for even these local programs comes from the feds. And this is, and, and they set the rules. So when they send money, they don't just send money to the local police or whatever. They actually have uh, earmarked for gangs or for, uh, like you said, the war on drugs or whatever. But they actually have very specific guidelines on how it's to be implemented and processed. So I just think that that would make a really big difference to have a person of liberty in Congress so that when they're appropriating this money and when they're setting the rules and regulations for how it's to be um, implemented, that it can make a difference because it still comes from the top in D.C. They have the purse strings and they're pulling that. My other comment is that, you know, when we talk about abolishing the police and using them or keeping them or defending them, um, and you mentioned, you know, a lot of people do want to keep the police to protect people, you know, to solve murders and crimes. But that's the biggest thing they, they've been having on TV. Only like 35 percent of most crimes are even solved by the police. Most rapes never get solved. So many of the murders especially as uh, um, Tim was alluding to, especially in the black uh, minority areas or the hood, the inner city, they don't even attempt to investigate. And this is something that, once again, we are so much in denial. If you're a rich person in, um, you know, the suburbs uh, or if you're a a football player or movie star or something, you know, they're going to come to your rescue or politician. But if you're a a person in the hood, uh, they don't even get involved. And I remember so much when 9-11 took, um, t- took place. And there was a lady in um, New York City down in the South Bronx. And she was saying, you know, like all of these people got killed in the Twin Towers. These rich, um, Ivy League-educated uh, uh, stockbrokers got killed. And everybody was like, oh my god. But her son got gunned down in the South Bronx. Nobody raised money for him. Nobody put it on the news and things like that. So I just wanted to comment on that um thank you guys for a wonderful show but does anyone have any final comments or questions for mr wilson anyone speak now or forever hold your peace <laughs> okay well mr wilson we're going to give you the last word and please give us well first of all before you give us your final uh comments can you give us a contact information for your uh, website for your pod uh your podcast for your campaign so if people wanted to contribute or find out more about you uh, also tell us a little bit, um, contact for your radio show
1: that you run. Oh, sure. So, uh, uh, you can reach me at Kevin Wilson for congress.com. I'm also on Facebook, Kevin Wilson, libertarian, or on Twitter at Kevin Wilson, ROC. Uh, I, I do run a radio show in the Rochester area. I co-host it with, uh, Andrew Hollister. Uh, it's called radio free New York. Same thing. You can find that on Facebook. Uh, you know, we have a website. You'll be able to see the latest episode and you can listen to any of our, our podcasts and any of the podcasting services. And, uh, Again, uh, I, I'd appreciate any s- uh, support that people can give me. Uh, we're, we're trying to win a tough race against a a very professional politician, um, and we're we're trying to make we're trying to make some noise in this the, this issue because uh, uh, Congressman Morelli, I think he's he's come around and and has uh, uh, maybe gotten closer to the right side on these issues over the last couple of years. But you know he he's been in office for thirty years. He's the architect of the. Uh, the policing problems that we have now. Yeah, while he was in the state assembly, he was voting for increasing the war on drugs and creating some of these, these problems that, that made police unaccountable in our communities. And so I'll, I'll just end by saying, you know, I, I really appreciate everyone's perspective. Uh, y'all provide a way more interesting conversation than, than we'll get on on a lot of shows. So uh, thank you for, uh, for having this discussion. I, I really appreciate hearing from everyone.
0: Well, thank you, Kevin. We're so honored to have the next congressman from Rochester actually on our show. Um, so we're really proud of you, and we look forward to you winning and anything we can do to help you. And guys, please reach out to Kevin. Go to his campaign website. Donate even a few dollars. It all makes a difference. Uh, trust me, I know most libertarian candidates aren't filthy rich, um, so <laughs> we don't have to worry about that ruling class a problem, Lloyd. But thank you guys so much. And guys, you can find us on Facebook, on Instagram, Uh, subscribe to us and like us on YouTube. We're on Anchor, we're on Spotify, we're on Apple, Google Play. So once again, thank you for being live on the Liberty Show with Kevin Fortune. And our special guest tonight was Kevin Wilson. Thanks and have a great day.